Okay. Thank you, worship team. You were awesome. Colossians chapter 3, for those of you who have not been with us, we've been working our way through the book of Colossians. Uh, we start off quite quickly, we are slowing down. It's been one verse per week for the last little while. But uh, just to read a little snippet and then we'll dive in. Colossians 3 verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, quick pause, nudge the person next to you and tell them that they are holy and tell them that they are dearly loved. Dearly loved. It's important. Therefore, clothe yourselves, thank you, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, whom we've just sung about, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, so a quick overview, quick recap. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, contains several challenges. They're, they're personal challenges that they're practical challenges and they're not necessarily easy ones. All those things that are listed in there that we need to, to take off and the things we then need to put on in their place. Tough challenges, as I've said, and there's more to come, as we'll see next week in the rest of Colossians chapter 3. So into all of that, Paul gives us two vital keys to help us as Jack Hayford said, to live consistent with our new identity. Having spent the first two chapters explaining what that new identity was, how do we go about actually living in, walking in that identity? And the two keys are last week's, which was verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And then the second one, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we covered the first of those last time. I've spoken again just a single verse today, which is, if you remember my list of imperatives a few week, weeks ago, this is number seven. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. Now the great C.H. Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached a sermon I found in my Google search in 1881, practically yesterday, and he explained that, that this verse comes in two halves. The first half is how we treat the word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And he said that the second half is how we profit by the word. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. We're going to start the morning with, with the first half of that, which is how we treat the Word. What should our relationship with the Word of God look like? What, what do we need to do if we want the power of God's Word to change our lives? So we're going to break that verse up into three sections. The first one is simply the word let, and then the second one is going to be Word of Christ, 
And the third one is going to be dwell in you richly. And then we'll get on to the second half of the verse in a bit. So first word is the word let. Now, in my mind, at least, this casts me back to one of the very first sermon series that I preached back in the Crawford Hall. Some of you were alive back then. And the series was called Aha. Uh, not a Norwegian pop band, but uh, kind, of, kind of the revelations or, or the, if you like, the stake in the ground discoveries for me that took my Christian faith when I was late teenager, early 20s, what, what took it to the next level, what, what made it real, what elevated it from baby faith resting on my parents' shoulders into grown-up faith, if you like. And the first part of that series called Aha was centered on 2 Timothy 3.16, which we'll look at in a bit, which basically explained that all of Scripture is inspired, that all of Scripture is God-breathed and therefore vital in every sense of that word. The revelation that, 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 that this, this Bible, God's word, really is the revealed word of God, and that it pours out in his heart and it teaches his ways and it demonstrates his authority. And I guess the aha for me, the light bulb moment was, was if I let it in, it will change my life. That, that strong faith comes from feeding upon that word. That, that his word is the solid rock upon which I must stand. So with that in mind, in, in verse 16 of Colossians 3, Paul tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You have to let it. In other words, this is a conscious decision that you need to make. And the very best thing you can do is, is to make the decision to put God's word first in your life. To greatly esteem it. To value it, to, to prioritize it to do whatever it takes to give it the influence and the authority and the centrality in your life that it deserves. And I don't know about you, back when I was about 20, this was a real aha for me. Frankly, it was the best decision that I ever made, closely followed by asking Catherine to marry me. Number one, let... Number two is the word, she's not even here to appreciate that. I'll make sure she watched the video. Number two is the word of Christ. The word is, is in, in the Greek is logos, which literally means the articulate utterance of intelligence or reasoning expressed by words. So it's the word of Christ, which of course is Christos, meaning the anointed one, the one who inspired the word the one who spoke the word, the one who is the word of God made flesh, as John 1, verse 1 tells us. In other words, we're not just talking about any old word. We're talking about the word of Christ. So, so in here, Paul, Paul is saying, he's saying that something is going to be digging its roots into your psyche. Someone is going to be forming and framing your thoughts and, and your values and your worldview. 
something is going to be capturing your heart. But you need to make sure that it's the word of Christ. Jesus himself said, said, that is the rock. Anything else, it is sand. And so here's the point that, that Paul is making. What you allow to dwell in you is critical. And you get to choose to make it the word of Christ. Pause for a second. I want to personalize this for you. And ask this question What is the ground upon which you stand? And when I ask that question, I'm saying really and honestly, you know, not your kind of textbook Christian answer. But what are you allowing to dig those deep roots into your psyche? Is it the pure, original, untainted, inspired logos of Christos, the word of Christ? Is it the word of truth? Is it the principles and promises of scripture? Is it your new identity in Christ as defined by the gospels and epistles? Gospels and epistles, if I can say it. Is it going to be that or is it going to be the word of the world? with its twisted agendas, its corrupted morals, with its deep-seated bias against God. Perhaps it's going to be a few loose, unfounded, hot-headed opinions that you hold. Faithless teachings you've sat under, subtle lies you've bought into. Something is digging into your psyche. Is it going to be the unreliable ups and downs of your life experiences? Is it going to be your hurts and pains? Is it going to be your defense mechanisms or your self-interest? Here's the danger. Depending upon which you choose to stand, depending on, on what you allow to dig its roots into your psyche, the danger is you end up with, with what I'm going to call a half-baked Christianity with a word, fr frankly, that's been diluted and distorted, that's been corrupted and compromised, a, a word that, that offers no power and offers no hope and actually answers none of your questions. But listen to this word. John 6, 63, Jesus said, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Now the famous verse, Hebrews 4 verse 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Thirdly and lastly, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scripture, here's my R, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the best decision you would ever make is to set that word loose in your life. And the good news is Paul then goes on in this very verse, to explain how. 
And how do you do that? The answer is, the third section was, let it dwell in you richly. Now, the usual Greek word to, to dwell is the word oikio. But the word used here is enoikio. So what you have is this little prefix, en, which means in. And that prefix intensifies, if you like, amplifies the usual word to dwell, to abide, to inhabit. In other words, the idea is, is that we're talking here about, about something or someone taking up permanent residence in your home, is how the word was used. One who is, who is so at home in this new location, they're, they're so contented that they've chosen to move right in and to make it their permanent dwelling place. But it gets even better. Not only is the word of Christ to dwell in you, enoikio, but it's to dwell in you richly. And the Greek word for richly means abundantly, copiously, fully, extravagantly. In other words, the word of God in you will make you spiritually rich. You will have an abundance. You will have access to manifold treasures. There will be more than enough. There will be an overflow. An overflow of all the word is and of all it does and all it inherently contains. And so Paul is saying here that, that if you will receive the word of God in the right way, giving it a warm reception and making it feel at home in your life, it will enrich you spiritually beyond compare. Your heart will be full of peace and joy. Your mind will be flooded with wisdom and understanding. Your mouth will be filled with songs of praise. You know, as a child of God, you don't need to dream about striking it rich. You are already rich because you have full and fettered access to the greatest treasure trove of all, which is the word of God. Amen. So back to Paul's instruction again. Again, I want to personalize this for you and ask this question. Does the word of Christ dwell in you does it do so richly? Is God's word an occasional visitor? Or has it taken up permanent residence? Is it left feeling a little uncomfortable? Or is it made warmly welcome? Is it maybe a book you read, a resource you sometimes tap into, a reference that you look up, or is it living in you? Is it living in you, inspiring your thoughts and framing your value systems and guiding your decisions? Is it just ideas in your head? Or has it captured your heart? Back to the wonderful Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, it's not enough to have a Bible on the shelf. You must have its truth stored up in your soul. He said, it's a good thing to carry your testament in your pocket it is far better to carry its message in your heart. He said you must believe it. 
You must live it. You must drink it in. Let it soak into your innermost being. Here's good news for you. That the word of God will transform our lives if we allow it to dwell in us richly. I'd say this. If you want to live a successful Christian life, then let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you want to experience peace and joy, and I'm not just talking about that occasional peace and joy you get when your circumstances are cooperate with you. I'm talking about all the time. Want that peace and joy? Colossians 3 verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you want to make godly decisions, if you want to be holy, if you want to bear fruit, if you want to have healthy relationships, Colossians 3 verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Isn't that all great news? The question, of course, then becomes how. And if the what here is, is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If the why is, because it'll change your life. The how is, is what steps can you take to make God's word feel so at home in your life that it takes up permanent residence and therefore does all the wonderful things we've talked about. The question is how, and of course, as much I could say, and the teacher in me wants to lay it all out in great detail for you. But I know that you guys just want the headlines and a little bit of inspiration. So here goes. I'm going to give you three M's. Number one is meditate. Number two is memorize. Uh-oh. Uh, and number three is mirror. Probably also, uh-oh. I'll work our way through those quickly. Number one is meditate. Familiar verse, I hope, Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, my daughter, pay attention to what I say, says the Lord. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. They are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. You know, God's word won't start to dwell in you until you make a habit of dwelling in it. You need to get it in and keep it in. You need to dig it so deep that nothing or no one can dig it out. There's a metaphor that, that I'm sure, sure you've heard before, the metaphor of chewing the cud. And of course, in, in year nine biology, I'm not sure we had year nine in those days, we were about 12, 13, 14. We learned that, that, that cows chew on that grass and then they kind of regurgitate it and they chew it again. They, they send it through it, the, the four stomach compartments that it has. They, they chew the cud because one of those four uh, compartments, stomach compartments is called the rumen from which we get the word ruminate, meaning to chew it again and again and again. And hence, to, to meditate, to, to, to muse, to, to ponder. So for us, we must, we must meditate the word. We must chew the cud, if you like. Which means we must read it and ponder it and study it over and over, on and off, up and down, inside and out, until it has been completely digested. 
How'd you do that? Well, for me, a, a really effective way, I think, is, is just to zoom in on a single verse or a single passage or a single principle, much as we're doing this morning. So take a, take, take a verse like this one and, and sit on it for a week. Maybe take it for a walk. But by that, I mean take it for a walk and dialogue, have a conversation with the Holy Spirit about it. What are you showing me, Lord? For me, I find it really, really helpful to look it up in different Bible translations or versions. For me, I use the New Living Translation, but I also refer back to the NIV and the King James. I grew up on those. I love, I love the Amplified Version, which amplifies it. I love the message because it's written in contemporary language. I love the passion because it does just that. It puts life into it. Something about looking a verse up in several different translations that gives the Holy Spirit the opportunity to spark something meaningful in you. You might want to, to pick out a, a single word and look it up in the Greek. I use an online um, website called BibleStudyTools.com. Another thing you can do is cross-reference it. We cross-reference it with other verses on the same theme, perhaps with the same word. You can use Bible study tools. You can use, I use BibleGateway.com that. Whatever you can do to chew that card, to meditate that word, to get it from your head to your heart, to dig it deep so it becomes part of your life until it starts to dwell in you. Number two is, is, is to memorize. Memorize is a great way of, of sinking scripture deep. If I'm honest, I learned most of the scripture that I know and I can quote, I learned in my teens and early 20s, perhaps when my mind was a bit sharper. And to be honest, there's no digging those out. When I need them, I have this inventory of pivotal verses to fall back on. To help you with that, on, on the back of, or somewhere in your sheets, I've listed 10 that I would describe as pivotal, memorable verses. And if you want to try this way of dwelling in the Word, getting it into you, then I'm going to set you, I'm going to set you two challenges, actually. Challenge number one is to, is to learn those verses. You may know some of them already. They're probably NIV because I've probably put them in in the version that I learned them in. So some might be King James, some might be NLT, some might be NIV. I apologize. But anyway, they're good. So first challenge is, is could you learn those verses? And the second challenge, I did this once, Challenge to, to memorize Colossians chapter 3. The whole chapter, the one that we're going through right now. If you want to get the word deep inside you, set yourself the challenge of memorizing chunks of Scripture. Now, another effective way to memorize Scripture, and dare I say probably a slightly easier one, is to sing it. What does it say here? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. Now, I don't know about you, but thinking back, I still remember lots of those early choruses that I learned in church when I was really young. I'm, obviously, I'm still very young. But when I was even younger, we, we sang certain choruses, and a lot of them were actually taken directly from Scripture, or, or dare I say, taken directly from the book of Psalms, actually. And so forgive me, I had a little bit of fun with this. This is, this is examples for, for, for my fellow old-timers. And I'm not going to sing them. Thank you. Do you remember this one? I delight greatly in the Lord. I delight. 
So I wasn't singing. Greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God. And it says that twice. It says, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. What a beautiful song. I, I can sing that. I'm not great at song lyrics, but I can remember that one. That was written by a famous English songwriter called Chris Bowater. Written in 1981. 19, for some of you, that was what happened before you were born. 1981. That is a direct quote from Isaiah 61, verse 10. Here's another one. From the rising of the sun. Remember this one? I wrote a song called this once. Now, like all good time choruses, this had an echo as well. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Just to make sure you get it, we sing the chorus again. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. And then the verse, if you can remember it, say it with me. Praise ye the Lord. Praise him, all ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This one is 1976. And that is directly, directly written out from Psalm 113 in the King James Version. You notice the yees and the yeas. Last one, humor me. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice, let the earth rejoice, let the earth rejoice. Let the people be glad that our God reigns. Verse one, a fire goes before him and burns up all his enemies. The hills melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord. Verse two, the heavens declare his righteousness. The people see his glory. For you, O Lord, are exalted over all the earth, over all the earth. Of course, you recognize that one. I, I read that at the start of the service. Clear, we might even sing it in a minute. 1980, that was, that was directly out of Psalm 97. Yes, well, we could go, we could go on forever on these. I've got so many. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all this. Yes, absolutely. It's in there, isn't it? No, no digging that one out. Why? Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. Three categories of songs here. First one is psalms. You know what they are, I think. Timeless songs lifted directly from Scripture, and they're such a treasure trove in the book of Psalms. Second category is hymns. Hymns, uh, if you go into the Greek language, hymns are songs of praise, thanksgiving, and worship not necessarily directly taken from Scripture, but nevertheless incorporating Scripture and teaching doctrinal truth. And the third category is spiritual songs, pneumaticos, songs, songs which express biblical truth as inspired and directed by the Holy Spirit. The point is it's great to sing the Word, to sing Scripture-based worship songs, great big God songs, I call them. Songs that teach and reinforce and engraft into us spiritual truth. So my encouragement, get your old tapes out, stick them in your car if it'll have them, and just play them often. Play them as you drive, play them when you're ironing, play them when you're out for a jog. I do neither of those. It'll have to be the car for me. You know, these, these songs, they help us to, to understand the principles of heaven. Help us to learn the ways of heaven and to catch the heartbeat of heaven all the time, digging the word of God deeper into our hearts. Number three, we're nearly there, is mirror. You may well have heard people, not just me, say, 
Don't just read the word. Let the word read you. Never huh? I found this quote by an old uh, transatlantic English evangelist called Gypsy Smith. He said, what makes the difference is not how many times you have been through the Bible, but how many times and how thoroughly the Bible has been through you. Yes. Uh, James, of course, described the, the, the word of God as a mirror. It's chapter 1, verses 21 to through to about 25. And what he says in there, and I think the scripture on the wall there, not to read it. He says, you've got a choice where you can glance at it, at the, the mirror, the word. You can glance at it and kind of ignore what it's showing you. Or you can look at it carefully and you can do what it says and you can remember what you heard. In here he says, that is the path to freedom. That is the path to blessing. Pope Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. You know, we're not just after here. We're not just after mere knowledge. We're not just after a little greater familiarity. We're not just after ticking a box to say we've read it. We're after wisdom. We're after, we're after understanding. We're after, we're after richly. Not just head knowledge, not just facts, not just knowing the stories. We're after inspiration and motivation, dare I say, transformation. What you need from the Word is, number one, you need wisdom from the mind of God. Number two, you need passion from the heart of God. Number three, you need power from the Spirit of God. What does Paul say there? He uses these two words, teaching Admonishing, the first word teaching, didasco, means to communicate knowledge, to shape and influence understanding. Not just knowledge for knowledge's sake, but to shape and form and fashion understanding and wisdom. The word admonishing literally means to put into the mind. Someone said to put sense into the head. Amen. You might have tried that with your kids with varying degrees of success. In other words, admonishing means to, to impart warning or caution. It means to give earnest advice. It means to exhort to action, even correct. But, but the sense in that is, is that correction is, is for growth, not punishment. It, it, it's out of relationship, not shame. All of that, that teaching and admonishing comes by, with, and from wisdom. So fear, which means that which is good, and godly and insightful and discerning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. You know, this is where your church family comes in. We get to do this in relationship. We get to do this in community. We get to do this together. And to that end, plane is landing. To that end, my encouragement with two things. We, number one, draw deeply from the teaching gift, wherever it's in evidence, and hopefully that includes your own home church. Draw deeply from the teaching gift. It's so important that you have open ears and a soft heart. Because if you do, that is a place that God can fill over and over again. 
That's number one. And number two is, is get into a good connect group discussion where you can thrash this stuff out with your friends. Every week I produce uh, connect group discussion sheets. They're available on the church website if you can find them. And they contain a lot of leading questions to help you dig this stuff deeper into your heart. Number one, meditate. Number two, memorize. Number three, look into that mirror and take note of what it shows you. Okay, wrap up. The message, get deeply into the word so the word can get deeply into you. Meditate it, memorize it, sing it. Stare deeply into the mirror so it can teach and admonish you. And if you do that, then it will dwell in you richly. Roll out the red carpet. Give the, give the word of God the kind of reception it deserves. Give it privileged and prioritized and permanent home in your heart. Honor it. Prioritize it. Study it. And you will become spiritually rich beyond. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team if they wouldn't mind coming to the front. I think we've passed while I've been speaking from summer to winter. That's how long I was. Got a bit gloomy in here. So how do we respond to all of that? I hear you say, or not. Okay, I'm going to give you, as usual, three questions. There's probably two too many, so just pick the one that works for you. Three questions. Question number one, a bit of a reality check, I think. How do you treat the word? You allow it to dwell in your rich. Have you given it that reception, that welcome, that home in your heart? How do you treat the word? And maybe the knock-on question is, what is the Lord saying to you about that today? Good question. Question to take to the Lord, number one. Number two is, have you allowed anything else to make its home in your heart? If you have, the good old-fashioned Bible word is to repent and turn back, change your direction, turn back to God's word today. Have you allowed anything else to sneak in, to seep in, into your heart, to start to dig in roots? And then question number three, very practical one. What can you do this week to dig God's word in a little bit deeper? I've given you a few ideas today, but just one practical action that you might take to dig that word Okay, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a little bit of time to, to ruminate that theme of the day. Uh, while we're singing, and the team will lead us in a, a song or two while, while they're singing, um, we, where we set things up over this side, over here, if, you, if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, maybe something related or stirred by the word, or maybe something we were singing about earlier, I speak Jesus, that joy. If you'd like someone to come and pray for you and with you over this side, they'd gladly do that. If you'd like to do business with God for yourself, you don't want anyone to pray for you specifically. If you want to come over to this side, you can get on your knees, sit in the front row, just pray some of those great big prayers, bold prayers, and, um, and we'll, we'll kind of leave you be on that side. And what we'll do is we'll worship for five minutes or so. At the end of the song, I'll come and pray, and we'll wrap up. So let's stand. I'll pass that down.